Hello and welcome to the 8th episode of Sociable, a podcast that puts you in the conversation. Through this podcast, we aim to discuss social issues, norms and observations, all in a sociable manner. I'm your host, David. And I'm your host, Edgar. Today's episode features a very special guest, a hobo that we picked up on the side of the street. Why don't you introduce yourself? Oh, this is a very, very warm welcome. Hello, Zachary. Uh, I don't really do anything interesting, to be honest. As you can see, we have an expert in the field that we're going to talk about today. Wow, expert. Setting me up to fail. Just just give them blatantly high expectations so they don't click off right away. I see, I see. Alright, so you want to just like jump into it? Okay, sure. So for today's episode, we decided to just take random philosophy questions off of various websites and talk about them. Okay, so I guess I'll I'll begin. So the first question we were submitted or we got submitted, I don't know, I don't I don't do English. Uh, it's like basically the trolley problem, right? Everyone knows it. You know, I don't need to explain it, it's fine. I think okay. you should explain it anyway. All right, Just, all right. Yeah. So imagine a situation where um, there's a trolley and there's a fork in the tracks and you're in control of a lever that changes, you know, where the trolley goes. So in the direction that it's heading right now, there is um, four people tied down to the road and or the tracks rather, and they can't move. So they're inevitably going to die if you don't do something. But on the other side, there is only one person tied down. So theoretically, if you were to switch lever, um, then the one person would die and three less people would die as a result. But the question is, should you? Alright, so Mr. Guest Speaker, you want to take it away first? Uh, sure. So generally, like, I'm personally of the opinion that you shouldn't do anything about it. Uh, like, because when you pull the lever, I think you're actually culpable for the death of the what is it four people five people whereas the alternative person yeah whereas like the alternative of the one person dying like the train would have killed them anyway which means that you're morally complicit so i'm not saying moral complicity is fine or whatever but i'm saying on the way up moral complicity is generally better than actually being culpable for the death okay i mean that's interesting because i feel like most people intuitively would pull the lever because i feel like this is like the very basic question of like, do you want to save more lives or not? So mm-hmm. from a like a, from a standpoint of utilitarianism, I feel like most people want to, most people generally want to save lives, even if it means that they are becoming morally complicit to some degree. So personally, I would pull the lever. I mean, that kind of begs the question, like, can you even quantify lives? Because Normally, people would say lives are priceless, right? You can't value them, you know, like you can't compare them to something because you know they're infinitely valuable. So you wouldn't really be able to compare one and four, if that makes sense. Like there would be, but uh, anyway, let me just offer my take. I wouldn't pull the lever personally because I don't think you yourself have the right to decide who lives and who dies. Like you, you don't, you just don't have that right, even if you know you're saving more lives on the way. You just ended the life of another person which basically makes you responsible as the murderer i'm confused what you mean that you can't compare lives i feel like you kind of can right you mean just by like one versus four right like if i if even if i agree with you that like the the value of a life is somewhat infinite 
four infinities is greater than one infinity. The, my main point is that I don't think you have the right to choose or determine the future for other people, especially when you're dealing with life and death. But I feel like we interfere in other people's lives all the time. But not right. to the extent that we kill them. Wait, there's one thing that I found interesting, which is like, Zach, why do you think moral culpability is worth more, or it's more important than actual tan than like actual tangible lives? Um. Well, I think like you don't really have an obligation to, like, okay, using like, the language of utility. I don't really think you actually have that big of an obligation to. Act, increase utility in the world like i see i feel like as though like that's a vastly overstated in, intuition where like a lot of people assume that you have an obligation to make people happy or whatever but there are like tons of starving children in the world you could genuinely like donate your entire life savings dedicate your life to a world like a, a life of i don't know stopping crises and whatnot but you don't and i think what that Speak intuition i sure i mean like we're, we're all here aren't we but I think what that tells us is sort of like, just because you can help someone doesn't mean you actually have an obligation to do so. And proximity doesn't really play that big of a, of a role in that. Okay, but let me let me um, modify the situation. The same situation, but but the one sacrifice for the five is a relative or like a romantic partner. That's like a very common variation to the yeah. situation. I feel like that, that doesn't really change Zach's answer or your answer, right? So right. I feel like... Yeah. It's so aimed at you, buddy, Mr. Mr. Edgar. But sure, like I think, I think like that that alteration like elicits a very emotional response from a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, if if you kind of twist it, you could perhaps make some kind of argument for like, if you work from a deontological perspective, that you have specific yeah, responsibilities to. What did you say? Like a relative or yeah. a loved one? Like your duty to, to them as a family member inhibits you from making the choice to take their life. But I think if Very I'm going to continue arguing from, utili from utility, it, like if I take that standpoint, then it also doesn't change that answer, right? Yeah. Hmm. I, okay, I feel like you don't have the obligation, like you don't have the obligation to create more utility, but that doesn't mean but like in that moment, like your decisions are not solely based on what you ought to, uh, on what you like have the obligation to do. Like I might, I might not have the obligation to share, like, food with someone else, but I might still want to do it because I want to be a good person. Yeah. In this situation, would you not want to save lives to be a good person? Right, but then you're not just saving lives. In doing so, you're sacrificing another. Even if it's I mean, less, I'm, I'm I'm only talking about like the praiseworthiness of it here, right? Because as I understand it, what Zach is saying is like it's not blameworthy to make the decision to not create more utility in the world. Mm -hmm. But if it is praiseworthy to make that decision, like I'm curious about his thoughts on that. I'm not sure if it would be praiseworthy though, because actually, you know, I do see what you mean in terms of like it would be praiseworthy, but I think it's somewhat counteracted by you actually killing someone like mm -hmm. if you're going to make the argument that it's praiseworthy then i would respond to the uh, my response would be what david said in terms of you don't really make that decision oh, fair, uh, fair. right like it to an extent you are therefore valuing lives and you're making that judgment and to say that's yeah i'm not sure that would be completely 
worth it. Hmm. Yeah, right. that's true. I mean, technically pulling the lever is literally first-degree murder. It's like a felony, so... Like, legally, you would be obligated not to and just not interfere with the situation. Okay. What, if also a, like... what, if, what if you were a government official? I don't think government officials are like, still exempt from the law. Unless you're, like, no, really, not, really important. Not as an exempt from the law, but does your duty to them change? But it, it would depend on... I'm not actually. I'm not sure if it would depend on what kind of government official, but surely any kind of government official has just like a generic official with a duty to protect lives. Just and then, wouldn't you have like, wouldn't you have like equal duty to every single person in that? I mean, no, because the government makes decisions all the, like, the government are acts as the arbiter for lives all the time. Like a lot of the time, it's a zero sum game. If you direct funding from a homelessness program into like. I don't know, refugee program. You might be taking lives and saving lives in the very same move. That happens all the time. The government has a unique duty to do those kinds of things. In that case, I feel like their duty to those civilians would change. Personally, I, I don't think like, the government itself has a unique obligation to protect lives. I think that extends to all civilians. Like, just because they're explicitly a body that should, you know, protect its own civilians, I don't think other people are exempt from that duty either. Like, for example, for example, police are obligated to stop crime, but that doesn't mean other people aren't. Well, I mean, some cases need you to act in the interest of your own safety first, but in the situation where you can and should help others, I don't think that obligation, like, ceases to extend to normal people. It's not a big... It's not a bit contradictory to what you said. Like, does it? Yeah, it, I mean, I'm not gonna lie, it kind of does. It seems like you and Zach then disagree quite a lot. Then I, I disagree cause... with them on the reason, but yeah, yeah, on the reason. But if David, if you believe that like individuals yeah, have an obligation to each other, people, then I should pull it. Yeah, yeah. But then, but then again, is this is it really helping people if you pull the lever? Yes, for uh, three more people or whatever, four. Where people survive but you're also taking the life of another person and i don't think taking one life would equate to saving three especially when you're the one committing the murder yeah. even if you think it's for the greater good yeah i mean like in the eyes of the law you're not punished for omissions like you cannot be punished for something that you didn't do unless you do have a specific duty of care to that person so i guess the law would consider you uh uh, the law would encourage you not to push the lever. Doesn't it depend on the state? Like, I forgot the name of the law. Like, the one that obligates you to intervene. Oh, Good Samaritan? Oh, yeah, yeah, that law. Yeah, like, yeah. Which isn't active in all states, right? I don't so. know. I was just speaking from this random law course I took. Anyways. Uh, we we <laughs> have a... We have you a... Guys wanna move on? We have a, um ambitious lawyer. We have um a hobo, and then we have a crackhead. Very nice. Okay, let's move on. Okay. So our second question submitted to us by a listener is, are people naturally good or evil? Okay, David, what are your thoughts? Okay, um, I don't think people are naturally good or evil at all. Like, I think um, it's the society and the atmosphere in which they're raised in that either influences them to be 
quote-unquote good or quote-unquote evil. I guess it depends on where your moral compass lies, because, you know, both are subjective, but I think, especially with touching on the idea of your moral compass, that also would depend on societal factors. There's no inherent or, like, genetic factor that renders you good or evil. Um, so yeah, like, even... Bro, I was gonna say Hitler, but I just remember the thing you said before about yeah. all conversations uh, coming see, up with Nazis. I, I, I should I should have actually put money on that. God. Okay, but anyway, Wait, do, you can't do, do that because we don't even profit from this. Rip, can I ask then if if you think that like people are a what's to say here like a consequence of their environment, mm-hmm. uh, then why do you, why should good and evil as concepts exist at all? I mean, like, I don't. Why should, why should we hold individuals morally responsible or morally culpable? Whether we should we even hold them morally praiseworthy then, if those are largely deterministic? Okay, I don't think Zach and the determinism argument. Sorry, again. sorry. Oh my <laughs> I, days. I don't think <laughs> good or evil are like constants in the world at all, because you know, as society changed, we've had some basic like laws that we've all had to follow, but the idea of what's acceptable and what's not has like changed usually becoming stricter as we you know progress so i don't think they're constants at all i think they depend on like one the scenario and then two you know the situ wait that's the same thing but you get what i mean and also larger context yeah 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 okay then like i think people should be held responsible for what they do not because it's good or because it's evil because of the consequences of the thing that they've committed like could have for example, if you've killed a person, you've just ended their life, therefore, you kind of have to face, uh, face the consequences of what you've done. But then aren't those arb- but then by your logic, aren't those arbitrary consequences that you're introducing to actions that people had no control over? Like if you're saying that- if you're saying that good and evil are arbitrary concepts determined by your local, like, environment, then a bunch of states had like, honor killings, they have- a bunch of communities have like, female genital mutilation, like, right. these are some of the- also justification for stuff like colonialism like yeah yeah you're really calling him a colonialist i'm just I'm okay just okay wait i'm not i'm not saying fgm is good or honor killings are fine i'm saying that yeah. like most of the blame falls like depending on the situation of course but in a lot of the situations where these kind of crimes are committed a lot of the blame falls onto the environment you were raised in for example if you were partaking in honor killings um i don't think you know, you'd like a baby would. Well, okay, that's that's a bad example, but I don't think you'd have the inherent want to carry out this quote unquote culture. Actually, no, it is a culture, but it's more that this has been the norm that you've accustomed, been accustomed to for so long that it's that almost seems fine to do, but from an outsider perspective, it's literally murder. So, are you saying within that community, it, it's like okay so should we just not intervene then to things that i don't i don't think we shouldn't intervene but rather i don't think the sole blame should lie on the person who committed it especially when we um hand out punishments we shouldn't be so superficial as to like solely blame the perpetrator I feel like that could be extended to so many like true like could you not argue that like a lot of murderers and serial killers were like a product of like extremely bad parenting like yeah i think yeah. eddie eddie has a really interesting argument about how like 
a lot of it comes down to physiology and like how your brain works and how it's yeah. developed over time, which is very much outside of your control. Mm -hmm. I mean, wait, I actually. You want you want me to elaborate on that? Yeah, yeah go, go ahead. ahead. All right. So, I think something I've said before is like, I think your choices are deterministic, like in that everything you do and all the autonomy that you believe you have is a result of synapses firing your brain, right? Like, I think it is all tied down to those firing that lead to you making choices because you can't predict your thoughts before you think them. You can't choose your thoughts before you think them. You can't, real like realistically, you can't choose your actions any more than I can choose the weather because those are all products of a series of factors that all happen to interconnect at the same time. Like, I didn't choose to be born, I didn't choose to be raised in a certain environment, and I didn't choose how the environment might affect me. Therefore, as a result, all of my, like, all of my choices are in that way predetermined. Wait, 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 just, just two points. But, I mean, that could be extended to saying that nobody's responsible for anything. And also, I guess this is contradictory to what I'm saying, but I'll say it anyway. Are those, like, synapses firing in your brain, the situation you grew up in, like, all part of the you that makes you? This is literally the opposite of what yes. I said earlier, but it's just something I, yeah. I mean, yes, because I think, uh, okay, that's why I think the nature versus nurture argument is so strange, because I feel like it should obviously be both, right? Like, I feel like there are lots of well-documented studies about like children that have good role models growing up tend to model their own behavior after those role models they tend to exhibit more positive traits they want to be more generous they want to be more like open-minded but at the same time like there are also well-documented studies about how genetic about how like certain properties in the brain are well categorized and altering those specific areas do have tangible and like to some extent, predictable effects on how you will act thereafter. So given that, wait, I forgot what the original point was, but the point is like, yeah, I think given those two things, all of your choices are predetermined either by your genetics or by the environment you grew up in. I think I'm curious about David's first point then and how would you respond to that then, Eddie? Because like, if it really what is the case, point? like how can you hold anyone responsible then? Like. I think there was a case, I believe it was in the US, but there was this guy who was like a school teacher and he had like an uncontrollable like sex um, urge for children. And they brought, like obviously he was convicted and whatnot, but then they realized he had a tumor in his brain. They took it out and he lost all of his urges. So obviously like a lot of the deterministic factors we were discussing are a bit more subtle and a lot more uh, implicit. But um, I think that's, surely that is the best case for your example, right? Like an explicit, um, a very clear and objective physical function that has affected your actions. So given that, are we going to say that, you know, you shouldn't be held morally responsible or maybe less morally responsible? I mean, I can think of two things to say, but I'm not sure if they're contradictory. So the first is like, we hold people responsible uh, okay, the first is, we can hold people responsible, not because they were like to blame or we consider them good or evil. So like similar to what David said, but it's because we want 
the effects of holding them responsible. Like we want the deterrence effect that it takes hold. That's to say like, we are also part of the environment that is affecting other people. So if like person X murders someone and we don't hold them accountable, then we are part of the environment that might influence person Y to also murder someone because that is a socially undesirable outcome. We ought to hold person X accountable. That's one way I can think of how to deal with it. But secondly, um, like on the school teacher example, like I would say the point at which there was that large of a factor that significantly altered his behavior, mm, I feel like he is significantly less culpable than he was before. Because the way I see it, that's no different to, if there's a tumor in your brain that uncontrollably changes your behavior, that's no different to someone like holding you at gunpoint and threatening you to c carry out certain behaviors. In, right. in which case yeah. the law does not hold you accountable. They consider it blackmail or like coercion and rightfully so. I think this is the point where we need to differentiate between hard and soft determinism because I think we're conflating the two quite a lot. Like, hmm. because I get your first response in terms of like we want to encourage well, the very environment in which many of these horrible things can take place. But if it is the case that like we can't control our synapses, you know, like mm -hmm. our actions are determined by some law of physics, which states that like, the whole argument about like, oh, every single um, particle has a predetermined mass and a predetermined velocity. You can't really oh, yeah. Im impact that in any way. Uh, we ourselves are also functions of those particles. Then what really is the point then? Like you're creating a deterrent for something that will largely do nothing then because those people will continue to act in the same way. So our third question um, also submitted to us by a listener is, is suffering necessary to allow us to experience a uh, pleasure? Wait, can I, can I yoink it? Okay. So I guess the first thing we can kind of touch on is like the idea of things being relative and us needing to compare things to genuinely, you know, admire them. So I guess the idea is if suffering didn't exist, then the idea of pleasure wouldn't exist either. Like we wouldn't have some like a metric to compare pleasure to. So, you know, it would all be the same to us. All right. So I think um, at some point it's necessary, but I don't think um, this is kind of similar to like an argument that's brought up in like theology on whether God exists or not, like about the problem of pain. But anyway, like I feel like there's no pleasure that equates to the suffering of say like the Holocaust or like, you know, what happened in Nanking, the massacre, like some of these instances of suffering are not necessary, I believe. Um, to allow us to experience pleasure because there's nothing that really equates to it. So I think to some extent, yes, it's necessary, but that's it just to some extent. I think that was pretty vague, but... No, no, I, no I get it. I think... Zach, what do you think? Like, David's response is very much in the realm of like, whether God exists or not. Like, the thing he's referencing is basically like, uh, a lot of people justify God's existence and a lot of the terrible things he does by saying, well, you have to have bad things to experience good things. And I think his response is perfectly adequate. My my issue then is like, I think this, this question is less about like God and more about like 
is it actually yeah for individuals like is it actually necessary so i could probably argue like for every positive experience you have there is a somewhat equal and opposite negative experience however that is not always the case in reverse so you can have large negative experiences without necessarily having an equal opposite positive experience and like kind of like the analogy i would think of here which i think i've definitely used before is with um like as students like with tests where a lot of people um probably have experienced like getting bad grades as well as getting good grades but i think the value of the good grade is not inherent it's more relative so it's relative to maybe getting a bad grade in the past it's relative to the lots of studying you put into it it's relative to the struggle of i don't know maybe having a bad teacher or something whereas if you have always experienced getting good grades like 100% on every single test for i don't know your entire life then getting a good grade doesn't mean anything to you it's more of a relief rather than a um well really so okay. so you think it like work you think yes it is relative but it only works yeah one way it does not work the other way I mean, mm. well, Eddie, if you only got A's, would you really be yeah. happy that you like, got an A on your next exactly test? Like, it's the, it's the struggle that makes things valuable, in, in my opinion. Mm. Like, if, 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 every, if every single yeah. A just came to you so naturally, like, you didn't even have to work for it. It's as, as simple as, like, blinking your eyes or something. It it's not valuable anymore. Really? Yeah, this is, like, similar to how kids get spoiled. Oh. Like, if, if you always get what you want, then... You know, it's not really valuable, as Zach said, to the point where, you know, it's the norm. So to get more value or pleasure out of things, you, you need more and more and more and more until you just become really, really greedy. But I think that's value, not pleasure. I think pleasure is... I think pleasure is a biological response, isn't it? Like, there are plenty of things that we, as animals, are just predisposed to feeling pleasure. It's like, obviously sex, right? But it's also things like I knew you were gonna say that. <laughs> Me too. Because <laughs> that's that's the obvious example. But it's also things like like you feel happy when you eat tasty food. You don't have to have had terrible food to compare that to. Like from the moment that you're born, you're predisposed to feel pleasure when you eat food that is good for you because that's how like that's how we've genetically survived. I think I feel like babies didn't need to. Like you don't need to force feed babies trash for them to feel happy when they're like eating. But right? the argument isn't about I, I positive disagree. and negative. The argument is the existence of a spectrum. So like you can have things that are relatively good versus like you can have, you can taste two things that bring you pleasure. But the point is there's a difference in that pleasure. The, the, but also more than be that, actively bad. I feel like with your example of eating. Um, it's not necessarily that the food tastes good, it's that we've experienced hunger before, and because of the fact that the food alleviates the hunger, it makes it good. Like, for example, there's no baby that's always eaten food and never been hungry. Like, we've always felt the pang of hunger before. I can't believe I just said pang, but, like, <laughs> you get my point. Like, there's always a, there's always a, like, a opposite or, like, a longing for something that makes you, you know, yearn for it or, like, enjoy it. Hmm. Honestly, fair, like, I don't really know where I stand on this question. Okay. Because intuitively, I feel like it's wrong, but when I try to think about it logically, I can't 
reason why. Okay, sure. So question four, um, also submitted to us by a viewer, is, is there truly such a thing as beauty? Does anyone want to volunteer for this one? Well, Eddie, with your biological argument, you would argue it's largely instinctive, right? Yeah. Mm. Oh, go on. That, that's what I... Wait, hang on. But it's like, truly. So, wait. Is the question asking objectively? I think it means like, is there like, uh, just like good and evil, is there like a universal, um, standard? Like, mm. I don't think you can argue universally, because or maybe, maybe even not if a it is standard, true that, like, does does beauty as we all know it like exist? Does beauty as a concept exist? Yeah, like cementedly. I don't think that's a word. Then I, then I think no, because. Like, yeah, even if I were to make the biological argument, like, that beauty is a response to things that we want to survive. Like, I sort of okay, wait, 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 wait. I'm confused about this universal thing. Because, sure. I'm confused about this universal thing because does that mean literally every person? I honestly don't know. Just, just give wait, your take. Zach, does that mean literally every person? Um when in in philosophy when you say universal yes like like a universal like universe uni whether a moral law is universalizable is a thing like it's the whole argument i think it means it just applies to any and all situations okay then yeah i don't think there's truly such a thing as beauty um because to say that there is such a thing as objective and universal beauty implies the existence of like a third person beholder that can arbite the is arbite the verb that Jesus. can yes that can judge the um beauty or ugliness or utility of things outside of how we are able to interpret it as and i feel like no such being exists right because like, beauty is only perceived as beauty if someone can see it and someone can make a judgment of it. If something is... Like, I don't think something can actually be beautiful in and of itself. Mm -hmm. I guess like, it's similar to, like, the if the tree falls and no one is around to hear it doesn't make a sound argument. Because, like, the argument for that is sound is only... Sound only exists as soon as it is no no sorry sound is the perception of sound i'm i'm actually not quite sure how that relates to beauty to be honest sorry i was just <laughs> trying to <laughs> dude i was just trying to compare them in that like i don't think it okay okay with the sound one i don't really buy that much but it's just like i don't think beauty exists in and of itself it only exists insofar as it is perceived by other people mm. and given that other people are all different there's there's no universal objective standard as to what is beautiful or agreed upon standard for what is beautiful there cannot possibly such a thing as true beauty i also want to touch on something else in that regard like i feel like if you find something beautiful or if you're awestruck or if you're scared i feel like 
Although Using can... synonyms doesn't make it better. Well, I mean, when Google defines the, the words that they use, or... <laughs> okay, anyway. <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah, I feel like even if you experience such emotions, you can't really... You can explain to someone else why you think that way, but you can never really change someone's emotion or like view on that, whether they find it beautiful or not. So I feel like, in turn, it's not something that's universal at all. It's very personal. Really? Like, yeah. this is, okay, this may be a very weighted example, and I might get in trouble for saying this, but like, yeah, just if, you had, if you had a girlfriend, right? And all, I knew you were and, gonna say And that. all of your homies were like, nah, nah, it's not it. <laughs> I mean, I'm saying, like, I mean, it, it's, it's, I think like, my point is like, to an extent, humans want to feel part of the herd. There's a, a le level of validation here. I don't think it's as personalized. Uh, like, as you make it out to be. Right, but in a vacuum, if everyone is told to decide, even though majority might say, you know, um, she's not that good looking, respectfully, of course. <laughs> I think on, on a net, I'm sure she's got a great personality. <laughs> on a, on a net, like it it all averages out to like a person to person thing, and plus, you know, you're we're all beautiful on the inside. <laughs> good save, good save. Anyway, wait, wait, Zach, but the thing like about being in a herd I don't know, actually, doesn't that like, imply that I'm not oh. sure I actually agree with that I just wanted to say it oh okay yeah. well then like to that isn't that implying that in order to be part of the herd you are you are trying to like hide some aspects of your standards for beauty somewhat such such that like even if everyone is in a herd no one within that herd actually agrees they're just taking like a few common traits between those different standards. I feel like we do that a lot, like change our views to, you know, to make, not make do, but kind of mm. fit in with the majority. Like for example, when I you get think peer you change pressure- your views Really? Though. I think you do. Think, right, you don't, you don't change, but you, you kind of like, un, like not admit, but- Like rose tinted glasses type thing. Like, I, mm, yeah. I think, yeah. I think the core of it is unlikely to change that much, but mm. it's somewhat malleable. Like, even with things like science, which we consider to be objective, like there is always a bias towards the consensus, just because of the right. Right. Like I, right. Mm -hmm. I think even if you had that personal like belief, which you consider to be very objective, you're more likely to be swayed to such a significant extent. Like you could even say the same thing about like religion. Like a lot of people convert pretty, like pretty easily, uh, when they're in localized conservative communities. Okay, so it seems like that's all the time we have for today. Uh, thank you, Zach, so much for coming. We'll return you to your cardboard box. Thank you. And uh, to everyone listening, thank you so much for reaching the end. Uh, we hope this was interesting for you. And remember to follow our Instagram at sociable underscore official. I'm going to have a field day editing this literal hour long episode. Bye. <laughs>